Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 145. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Jeff Zwart. Jeff are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, as long as we spend a little bit of time sideways, that sounds good. Oh, geez. Okay. I think we're going to have <laughs> some fun. That sounds great. Jeff Swart is a commercial film director, a racer, a photographer, a cameraman, and an author. He shot commercials for Porsche, BMW, Cadillac, GM, Hyundai, Ford, and many others. And he's a graduate of the Art Center College of Design. And he's enjoyed an exceptional life and career around automobiles. He's traveled all over the world shooting, directing, racing, and photographing cars, and he's collaborated with David Bull, publishing on many automotive books. He speaks and lectures and has driven in numerous races and rallies, including Pikes Peak, the Hill Climb, the Panama-Alaska Rally, the Baja 1000, and the Trans-Siberia Rally, just to name a few. I like to think of Jeff as the ultimate car guy with a keen eye through the camera lens. So, Jeff, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a little time and share some more about your history, your incredible career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Oh, sure. I mean, it's, it's, I have been kind of living the automotive dream, and I know you probably hear that quite a bit, but I think that the way that, for some reason, and this was not by design, it happened that way, is that I ended up combining so many things that I was truly passionate about into one thing that I do, but it's a multiple, (laughs) multiple, uh, things that I do at the same time because I, you know, I've been able to, uh, photograph cars, uh, for Road and Track magazine. I've been able to travel the world racing. I've been able to focus on Porsche's side of things from an advertising standpoint, from a collecting standpoint, from an everyday driving standpoint, and then most passionately, I would suppose, my racing standpoint. I've been able to really race all over the world with Porsche and been able to uh, go on very unique uh, journeys with them. And, you know, it was, a, it was a combination of things that brought me to this point, but really I, it's 
probably started with my father, uh, as so many kids and boys um, can attribute the automotive world to themselves, is that, you know, your father had a lot of influence there. And growing up, my father liked racing, and so we went to races. But there was a definitive moment where in 1964, my father came home in early May with his first new Porsche he ever bought. And I think it was the only new Porsche he ever bought in his life, which was a 1964 356C. Nice. And about three weeks later, um, I was my birthday, and uh, they announced that on my birthday weekend, we were going to take a road trip from Wilmington, Delaware, to the Indianapolis 500. Oh, so wow. here I am, a kid, little kid, packed in the back of my father's new Porsche, making a road trip to the biggest racing event in the world and the biggest spectator event in the world at the time, and entered into the Indy Motor Speedway grounds and went up into a grandstand and in turn three and looked out over that whole big racetrack and watched all these cars going by in those days at about 170 miles an hour. And I was captivated by racing. I was captivated by travel. I was captivated by the sounds of the cars. And most importantly, the vehicle that enabled us to get there was a Porsche. So all of those things kind of came together for me. And and that was what I was truly interested in from that point on. But, of course, you know, you're kind of deciding as a kid and growing up what you're going to do as a occupation for the rest of your life. And, you know, once you've kind of crossed off being a fireman and a uh, and an astronaut and a few <laughs> other things that were all aspirational at the time, I settled on being a veterinarian. And so uh, that was my goal through junior high and high school was to ultimately be a veterinarian. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, so I was uh, studying all of that, and I was found myself living in Germany out of high school and looking to go to the uh, German veterinary school in Munich. And it was really at that time working for a large animal veterinarian, traveling all through the countrysides of Europe, that I kind of reinvestigated this thing that I'd gotten to do with my father years before, which was going to races. And found that living in Europe, I was a train ride away from any great race anywhere in Europe. So on the weekends, I would go to races. And as I spent my year in Germany working for the veterinarian, I also spent time going to Le Mans and going to the Dutch Grand Prix and going to Spa and going oh, to wow. local races. And, and it was at those races that I started looking at that world and saying, well, what can I do here? And I couldn't figure out how to be a race driver because I had no connections whatsoever there. And I really had never driven a car truly at speed. And uh, I looked at being a mechanic and I thought I'm totally non-mechanically inclined. So that's never going to work <laughs> for me. But there were these people at the races that were on the other side of the fence that were closer to the action than I was and that seemed to be able to be in the driver's faces and all around the cars all the time, and those were the photographers. Yes, so yes. I said to myself, I need to learn how to be a great photographer so I can do these this racing thing. So mm -hmm. that was really what inspired the racing side of it. And ultimately, as you mentioned earlier, I ended up at Art Center College of Design graduated as a still photographer, 
maybe just a few months out of school, I was offered by Road and Track to shoot my first assignment for them, which happened to be a magazine cover, Road and Track cover. Holy cow. And life started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's the way it evolved into, you know, basically my career that I find myself in now. And obviously, I was a still photographer for 10 years, but that naturally evolved into the whole film side of it. And most of my time is now spent traveling the world, directing television commercials for most all of the major car companies. And my specialty is a high performance or a high action director. So that leads me to a lot of fun, exciting places all around the world to shoot commercials. Oh my gosh. Dream come true life. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. see here. That's it is so, I, I, you know, that's fun about when I have people here in cars. Yeah, you learn some different things about them, that you were going to be a veterinarian. Well, now it kind of, <laughs> yep. kind of makes sense when I follow you on Facebook and, and Instagram <laughs> and so forth, and I see you're, you always have your dogs with you, yep. you know, in the car and so forth. I just watched a little video yesterday of you driving down the road. It looked like an old 911 <laughs> with a, a dog yep. in the passenger seat. So fascinating, <laughs> yep. fascinating, wonderful story. So exciting. As we continue on your journey, I always love to start by asking my guests for a success quote. And it's a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So I'm so happy to say, Jeff, take the wheel. <laughs> uh, well, you know, my quote and kind of has always been, and, and it's interesting because it translates to so many things that I do, but it's basically to stay focused, you know. I view the world two different ways. I view the world with blinders on, so I don't see anything on the outside, and I focus on one thing, but I also work with blinders wide open so that I can take in everything that's around me. But when it comes to the moment, it's that focus. And, and you know, that translates into the work I do, obviously, to be focused on getting through each day of directing television commercials and and creating the action sequences we need to do and getting through a shot list, it requires a great deal of focus, not just from a mental standpoint, but obviously a focus from camera standpoint and focus from crew standpoint, and everybody has to be on the mark. And then the other side of it, which is very much the parallel to the, to the other world I live in, which is my racing world. And, you know, my specialty in racing has gone from uh, road racing to the U.S. Pro Rally Championship to ultimately uh, running about 14 years at the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. And, you know, when you leave the line at Pikes Peak at 9,000 feet and finish at 14,000 feet, you've got 156 turns ahead of you mm -hmm. and 1,000-foot drop-offs and 13 first-gear hairpins. There's probably no place in the world where focus is more important. Oh, yeah. And so that ability to kind of take all the knowledge I have and all the observations I've made and focus it into a single moment of looking at something, focusing on it, and taking the task in hand is really kind of how I live, both in my racing world and my work world. Uh, I love that. And Pikes Peak, man, that is an event I've never done that. I probably never will, but watching <laughs> some of the videos of you and others go up that hill it's just scary for me sometimes is watching MotoGP, <laughs> those guys on motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different world, and I've got plenty of respect for those guys, too. But uh, it is kind of fun to take a place like Pikes Peak and know it as well as I do. And I really do find it to be absolutely unintimidating and 
it's the task at hand and my need on a single run. You know, all we get is one run on race day yeah. to get to the top as fast as I can. So that's a that's a great pressure, but it really does mirror my life in my filmmaking world. Uh, fantastic. Now, you may have answered this question before when you talked about that road trip with your father in that old Porsche to Indy. Would you tell me that one pivotal moment in your life that instigated your passion for cars? That 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 moment when you really knew I- I'm a car guy. I just have to admit. Yeah. I think that you know, yes, the the moment I described earlier of going to the Indy 500 in the back of a 356 was a moment where it kind of put several things together for me, and I realized I really liked a lot of things. Like I said, I like the travel. I like the racing i like the car i was in you know but then there's another moment which turns out especially for where i am in the world of porsche right now that was an extremely important moment but so much more so by the fact that you know my life is kind of dominated with 911s in the porsche world is that when the day came for me to drive to learn how to drive mm-hmm. my father said we're going to take the 911 and go to this empty parking lot and drive it. And I had assumed we'd take some other car we had, but he said, no, the 911 has more power and you won't stall it as much. And I'm thinking, oh, this is the great, this is the greatest day of my life. So <laughs> we went out to this parking lot and he put me in the driver's seat for the first time. And, you know, your feet sit slightly offset in the 911. And I grabbed a hold of this thin wooden steering wheel in the 911 and pulled back in the first gear in that odd position oh, that early yeah. 911s had for first gear. Yeah. And slowly let the clutch out and slowly gave it gas, and the car was moving underneath me. And, you know, that whole sequence of events and feeling a car move under you and kind of enable you to move forward in a different way that walking, different way that riding a bike had ever done for you yeah. is a magical moment. But combined with the fact of the significance of this car my father had a 911 but it wasn't any 911 mm-hmm. this 911 was chassis number 35 oh, built wow. in september of 1964 so it's officially a 901 so oh my gosh. for me considering i've raced you know 12 different porsches up pike's peak and one there you know eight seven-time champion at Pikes Peak, all based on 911 and the thought that I learned to drive in the 35th <laughs> 911 built wow. for 901, that just makes it really special and really kind of just, you know, creates the bookends of my life. It will always be a bookend there of the day I drove happened to be in a 901. Oh, my gosh. What a wonderful story. That is just fantastic. And you know you're right about teaching. I taught my son to drive in, in my 72 911S. And he would say, you sure, Dad? You want to take me out in that car? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's just got more power. It's going to be easier to learn how to drive a stick shift in that car. And and uh, yeah, he came back home with a giant grin on his face. And so did I, for <laughs> yep. that matter, because it, yep. w- it was a special day. So, oh, that's fantastic. What I want to do now, Jeff, is go down some of the roads you've driven and crawl under the hood here and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you've faced in your career. We all face these things. We come up against these walls. We have to overcome them. And the most important part of this is how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? You know, I think that 
it's hard because you know I could describe to you a filmmaking situation, and I could describe to you a racing uh, situation. But yeah, I will say that one of the great moments of the way things come together, and this is what I like about rallying, is that I entered into the uh, Panama Alaska Rally, which was 25 days, 10,000 miles. There oh were 80 gosh. teams from all over the world. Uh, that were entered in it, and uh, the cutoff date for the cars was 1972, so it had to be 1972 and earlier. So I chose to take a 914.6 on that journey, and it happened to be the first car I ever bought with my own money, oh, and wow. I still own it to this day. Uh-huh. Uh, I bought it in 1973, so I've had it like 41 years. So I took this car on that race. We built it into an FIA, basically... Uh, homologated uh, 914.6 with all the right FAA parts on it and everything for it to be able to race in this race. Oh, so Very cool. The cool thing was that my father got to come along as a mechanic in the mechanic's vehicle that chased us for this. So oh, wow. to think that you had this lifetime of racing and cars and everything that was kind of given to you by your father at an early age, and then to get to take the first car that I was able to buy with my own money out of high school with the help of my father and kind of making me invest as I went through junior high and high school in the stock market, and then to take that very same car and give us both a lifetime adventure mm-hmm. of driving 25 days you know, through spectacular terrain that none of us had ever seen before, and literally have every problem you could possibly have along the way (laughs) with my father there to help keep the car on the road and myself and a co-driver to keep the car moving forward at speed. It was just a great deal. And there were low moments in there where we absolutely didn't think the car would finish, you know, in places like Guatemala and Nicaragua and Mm -hmm. places, far away places where we literally would have had to leave the car there if it had broken down in a big way. So it was just one thing after another, but it was a great battle. And I think that so much of it was about family and having your dad there and and keeping this thing moving forward. So it was just a great adventure for all of us. And we ended up finishing second overall. Oh, my gosh. By the time we got to Alaska and the event. And it really, you know, was something that my father had never done. He had never traveled in this region and never been part of a race and things like that where I'd kind of gotten to be on a regular basis of running the rally championship and all. So these moments of bringing it all together and seeing it all culminate as a family was really cool. So we really did enjoy it. It was it was a really special trip. Oh, sounds just like a magical trip, but I'm sure fraught with so many challenges when you're pushing yourself and in your car to those kind of limits yeah. in those, those environments. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. There's far more things to go wrong than go right when you go <laughs> into something like that. Yes, I can only imagine. Wow. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share a story with me. When you had a real aha moment about your career, you talked about going to all those races in Europe and looking at those guys down at the fence who were close to the action. Maybe that was your aha moment as to how your life was going to move in a different course from that veterinary life that you'd set up. But could you share a time when you realized that, you know what, I think I'm going to make it in this and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's 
kind of interesting in the business that I'm in of directing television commercials because we travel all over the world and basically set up small businesses, you know, there where we hire, you know, 50, 60 people and we do a production for two weeks and then we leave the place and Mm -hmm. we hopefully came back with successful film footage and hopefully didn't spend all the money and kind of, you know, made everything work budgetarily. They kind of go through that all the time. And I think almost every one of those jobs has one of those aha moments because, you know, as a director, you like to think you can control a lot of things. We can't control the weather. We can't control the locations. Can't control how the car is going to behave that day. There's so many things that we really can't control. So it's an alignment of intuition that we rely on all the time, and certainly I do. And it, there's this moment where you feel like it's all uphill, and there's a moment where you hit the crest and you can see everything and know that it'll work. Mm. And you kind of have to get to that. Sometimes you get to that early in a job. Sometimes you get it late in a job. I did the Cadillac project, which took me from Chile to Morocco to Monaco to China. It was for the launch of the ATS and it oh, was all yes. around the world. Yes. And I did that series of commercials, which were nine commercials that we did in uh, two and a half months of being on the road. And it still, when we left on that project, there were so many unknowns. And it really was at a point in Chile when I was in the helicopter and we were chasing down the road, chasing Derek Hill at over 100 miles an hour on a gravel road with side winds hitting us and buffeting the helicopter and the car and everything. I looked down, and I just saw all the visuals that were happening and knew what the rest of the world had to offer for me, whether I was going into places like Morocco and China. And it really did say, I felt like I am on a magical job. (laughs) I'm on something that is going to be as much entertaining for me as hopefully it'll be entertaining for others watching it. Mm-hmm. And he just felt like this is going to be something that really works. And it's, it's kind of funny because every job needs that moment. Let's face it. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's a, a whole different feeling. Yes. So, yes. Um, and you know, every job is different from my last job and some jobs last two weeks and some jobs last two months, but there is always that moment where you kind of get to the top of the hill and you can see over the whole thing and have a feeling this is going to work. Yeah, a great feeling. Well, that's a good segue into this next question, and it has to do with your proudest business or career moment. I'm sure you've had many because of all the different adventures, but is there one that you can share with us that really stands out, that proudest career moment? i got to say I'm so fortunate in having so many different kinds of successes. Some were just totally personal which probably I'm the only one who realizes, and then others were more public. And I think that, you know, I'm really fortunate with having those successes. And and I think that, you know, obviously racing is an easy place to to uh, demonstrate it. You know, you won or you lost. Mm-hmm. You, know, you broke sure. a record or you didn't. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in my own business world, you know, I think that one of them, I did a commercial for Porsche, which was called The Family Tree, which was basically oh, yes. the historical timeline of Porsche in racing and road cars, and we built a family tree where they actually choreographed their driving across a large desert mm-hmm. to create the family tree. And I think that, you know, this was a this was a thing where we had 47 historically significant cars on the job, 
We had uh, 25 cars at a time driving. We had, you know, a $38 million insurance policy on it. Um, we had only two days to shoot in it. I had made calls to some of the best collections in the United States to beg, borrow, and <laughs> steal <laughs> off a few cars from yeah. people and, you know, made a lot of commitments myself. And, again, it was a situation where, you know, you kind of stepped off the edge, much like just leaving the starting line at Pikes Peak. And you stepped off that edge and you went into it and you knew that if you choreographed things right and you told the right story, it would come back as a compelling piece of communication for Porsche. And I think that when that spot was finished, you know, it was something that went globally mm-hmm. and people all just appreciated it. It didn't need translation. It didn't need humor. It didn't need anything. It just purely communicated. And I would say that's one of my proudest commercials I've worked on. And the other great thing for me is that it happened to be a Porsche commercial. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember that. And I remember when it came out, and I'll tell you, as a an automotive enthusiast and specifically a Porsche enthusiast, when I saw that, one of my thoughts was, oh, my gosh, look at all those cars. I mean, so, And then, of course, having uh, my background being in production design and so forth, my brain started going, oh, my gosh, how did they pull this off? So <laughs> yeah. now I'm talking to the guy that did it. So, yeah, that was <laughs> awesome. You guys, you and your team did a just fantastic job there, really spectacular. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Let's have a little bit of fun here. You've had many great cars in your life. What was your first really special car? And perhaps you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. You know, I think that it goes back to the same car I took on my Panama, Alaska journey. Mm-hmm. It really is a, it's a 914.6. And, you know, when I graduated from high school, uh, it took me about six or eight more months to kind of get the last bit of money. But I I grew up where the sound of a 911 was so unique and so special and that you it made me turn my head wherever I was to hear a 911. And so I just wanted to have a, a 911 someday. Well, I couldn't afford a 911, but Porsche had fortunately made a 914, and a few of them were 911-powered, called 914.6s. Yep. And so that motor sound was the same in that car. And so I think getting that car and to still have it today, 41 years later, and look at all the experiences that car took me. That car took me to college. That car took me from Panama to Alaska. That car raced in a hill climb in New Zealand. It's been all over the world. Yes. And yet it still sits in the back and I can start it up and drive it to cars and coffee like (laughs) I did last weekend. So, you know, it's something that bridges those things. And I I look constantly to bridge stories, to, to have a perspective of where things have come from. And, you know, that single car for me probably bridges so much in my own life of, of my first, you know, car that I actually owned and then all the adventures it provided. Yeah. Oh, they're great cars. I think did they make those just one year? Was it nineteen seventy? It actually for the US it was seventy and part of seventy one and then in Europe it actually went a little later, but um they there aren't a whole lot of them around. Yeah. Oh they're great cars. I love them. I had a nine fourteen it was a seventy three two point oh but uh uh-huh. wish yeah. it had been the six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great car. You know, I have one car in my life that really represents a lot to me, and that car is a 1949 Gamund, which is a 356. 
And this car was built in Austria before the family even moved to Stuttgart to build steel-bodied Porsches. So this car was built at a sawmill in Austria. And it's, to me, that's the only car I really would want to keep and hang on to Mm -hmm. because it's a car that represents where something has come from, where the entire brand of Porsche has come from. And I always say that this car, the decisions that were made of being rear engine, lightweight, a driver's car, a true sports car in 1949, those decisions that were made have affected everything that we've enjoyed from Porsche since then. So having that car and being around that car and feeling the presence of that car is something really, really special. And so that car represents that for me. Oh, yes. And I've seen pictures of that car. It's uh, one of them you took, actually, my son just grabbed for his screen saver. That is a really special car. Wow. So (laughs) fortunate to have that uh, as part of your collection. That's great. How about seller's remorse? Is there a car that you've let go in your life that you really wish you could have back in the barn? Well, you know, I think within my own life, I'm so fortunate of, you know, having a a few cars here that I just have always liked and been able to hang on to. But I will say that it's not so much what I sold, but my father getting rid of that chassis number 35901. You know, in when you look in 1970, I think it was, or 71 when he sold it, you know, it wasn't a significant car. It was an early 911. Everybody wanted a 911 with alloy wheels and big deco on it and more yeah. horsepower and things like that at times. So it was just an old 911. And now when we realize you know, 50 years later the significance of having a 901, sure. you know, the, one of the first handful of 911s to leave the factory that would be really significant to have. Especially since it was your dad's, too. I think that adds yep. a whole new yep. dimension. So are there any current projects that you're working on right now that really have you excited and fired up? You know, my life is always going in three kind of directions. One is obviously my business life, which, you know, I'm constantly working on new projects, and they generally are more interesting. I look for my career to constantly evolve, and I've really been pleased to kind of start as a still photographer and evolve into commercials and short films. And I have a TV show running right now, a GT Academy that we shoot for Nissan and PlayStation every year. And, you know, I kind of have so many different things going on in the business world that I wouldn't, it's, it's just an exciting career, nothing in particular. And then in the car world, you know, I, I love that, you know, I'm constantly stimulated by different styles of vehicles and, and, and types of cars and, and eras of cars. So, you know, I always have something I'm kind of interested in, but I kind of keep that quiet. <laughs> and then, and then, and then the, the last part is the racing side. And, you know, I, I've had such, been fortunate to have such great success at Pikes Peak that, you know, I always look for new challenges. So I usually try to switch up the cars that I run there and see what we can do with something different. So, Hopefully for next year we'll have something a little different, but you never know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, wonderful. Now here's a fun question for you. If Jeff Zwart was a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a funny, that, that is a funny way to ask it, I guess, because, you know, I 
view the car and a Porsche as an extension of me. Mm-hmm. So for me, I already feel like I'm wearing the car. Mm-hmm. When you look at the amount of time I spend in cars, in Porsches, in 911s primarily, and the number of gravel roads I've gone down flat out, sliding between trees, and the number of times I've raced up a place like Pikes Peak or gone down a snowy road in Maine or Michigan when we did the winter rallies or these kinds of things where it really is something that's around me all the time. I look at the fact that I wear the car Mm -hmm. because I have the road car I drive, the camera car I use with the big arm on top of it that spins around. These are all things. That's my office. That's what I sit in. I sit in a cayenne <laughs> with an arm on the roof of it. I drive to location in, in you know currently in a Macan and feel like I wear that. And then if it comes time to rally or do a hill climb or do a racing event like I just did at the 24 hours of Daytona, they did a historic race, I'm in a 9-11. So it's those moments I just feel like I'm wearing the car, and it's no car in particular. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it is, each one has its own character, but it creates a situation where these cars just become an extension of me, and there's probably no place in the world that I'm more comfortable than to sit in the driver's seat of a 911 at speed. <laughs> well... I kind of figured that Jeff is a 911, so. <laughs> but you, you answered that question much more eloquently, so fantastic. Okay, Jeff, we're entering what I call the last lap, and you're a racer. You know what that means. The white flag's out, pedal to the metal, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Okay. All right. Yep, I'm ready. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I think it really came from Rod Mellon, and he was the one who sat me down in a rally car and gave me my first ride and talked about how to turn a car, how to, you know, uh, push ahead against all elements and kind of drive way past what you can see. And I think that ideal, not just the technique, is something that I've carried through to this day. Ah, Fantastic. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? <laughs> I can tell you one of the funny habits, which all my crew members know, is that <laughs> I don't want anybody to ever move my seat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I do finally find that perfect place yeah. where everything is in the right position, and I've spent you know, like a day you know, moving back and forth and half an inch or an inch here yeah you know it always uh dismays me when i get in the car and somebody's moved the seat to get something out or something (laughs) well i have no idea if it's contributed to my success but i can tell you it's one less thing for me to think about yes absolutely (laughs) do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you're really fond of maybe it's a website or a blog that you get oh geez that's a that's a good one um because you know we're in the internet world and and, you know, I look for places to go quickly to every day. And, I, you know, I've got to say that it varies a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, that's, that's a hard one. I think that, you know, one of the funny places I go each day, it, yet it's informative, but it's twist on things is Jalopnik. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like their kind of twist on things. Now, you've published some books and been the editor of some books, but is there one book in particular that you would share with our listeners that you think they really need to add to their library? I think that one of the one of the great ones is called The Limit 
Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. was really a story about Phil Hill and his era of racing, and and then the other one is uh, racing in the rain, the current one. Uh, I think that yes. philosophically talking about racing and talking about it through the eyes of a dog, obviously with the oh, yeah. eyes and ears and head of a dog. Garstein's book. Are all, yes, it's a fantastic book, and I fortunately had had some time to sit down with Garth, and I just think it's a fantastic book from on so many levels. But yeah. From a historical book, I really like The Limit because that's still Hill's story and that was in a magnificent time of Formula One. And then more recently is Racing in the Rain just because I think that that is a great voice to kind of translate racing through is to, to hear Enzo and hear the thoughts and, and look at that world through different eyes. Yeah, yeah. Great choices. And I'll remind our listeners that you can find these resources com slash Jeff Zwart. All right, Jeff, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question would be a real doozy, especially for a car guy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something that you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, but money's no object, what would that one car be and why? You know, that's a hard question because cars fulfill different things, but I think that I may already have that car. Oh, you're one of those lucky guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Previously mentioned Gamoon, you know, it yeah. just, it, it's a car that links the past and the present. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important to realize the path that you've come through, through something like that and realize that, you know, this is where everything came from. And it gives you such perspective to roll down a Southern California freeway with just 29 horsepower under <laughs> your right foot. And yes. you have to negotiate every move, and you have to plan ahead. You have to do all those things, but yet you're still traveling. And you think about the era that that was built in, in 1949, a post-war era, and that they just took parts that they had on hand to build it, and yet today it still serves that transportation purpose. It just gives you such a sense of where things have come from. Yes. Ah, magnificent. Well, you're a very fortunate guy to have that dream car. And I'm really lucky because I don't have to get my checkbook out and buy you anything. So (laughs) I appreciate that. Jeff, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew this was going to be fun. And I'm so thrilled that you joined me here on Cars Yeah. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Is there one parting piece of guidance you could offer our listeners before you drive off into the sunset in that Gamund Coop? I really think it, it's a bit cliche, and you hear it a lot, but when you look from my perspective of being able to combine, you know, an everyday life with something I really love and a business life with chasing high-action cars all over the world and, and making films and commercials with them, and then the ability to have raced all of the latest products from Porsche over the last 25 years, it really is a situation of combining passion. And when you do get to combine a passion like that, each one of those tasks fuels the other. Mm-hmm. And when they do fuel the other, it almost becomes, you know, a basic life that just keeps flowing along without much thought, you know, <laughs> or w- without much effort. And I really do enjoy that. So I'm very, very fortunate. Fantastic. And what's the best way for the Cars Yow listeners to learn more about you? Just search me on the Internet. I mm-hmm. hope most everything is pretty uh, pretty accurate out there. I mean, there's lots of fun films on YouTube of my 
uh, trips up Pikes Peak and different adventures I've done in the cars. And then obviously, uh, just from a reading standpoint, there's uh, lots of sites that have done uh, articles and things on it. But I, I, you know, Facebook is one. But I think that probably the one that I am most focused on these days from the standpoint of portraying something out there in social media is Instagram. So Great. that's uh, our best. And it's just... It's at Zwart. It's uh, pretty simple. Pretty simple. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, Jeff, again, for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences and your journeys with the Cars Out listeners with me. It's been great fun. It's been just a thrill to talk to you. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.